Hoyamori Kirk, Ikisubli Umfayela Tazin. Good morning, uh, Kiora, Talofalava, and welcome to church this morning. Thank you so much uh, for choosing to share your Sunday with us here at Elam Christian Centre, Manurewa. I'm so excited to be bringing the Word of God for us this morning. Uh, we're journeying through the Ten Commandments, and we've gone through do not covet, we've gone through do not be a false witness. And today we're going through the commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Uh, you can go on ahead, take out your Bibles, take out your app. Uh, we're going to pray. God, we draw closer to you this morning as we come around your word. And so, Lord, we open our eyes, we open our hearts, we open our ears to hear from you this morning. Oh God, speak to us in such a way like never before, oh God. And so we just come with expectation and with faith as we come around your word this morning, Lord. Lord, we say we love you and we absolutely love your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. One day I get home from work and uh, my parents call me into the lounge. And you need to understand that when Samoan parents call you into the lounge or to come to the front, they're calling you to the front for one of two reasons. Number one, you need to serve our guests by uh, giving them some cabin bread biscuits and tea. Or number two, you're being called to the front because you've done something that you're probably being blamed for and you're going to get in, tr in trouble for it anyway. Or you've done something that they found out about that you didn't, that you thought that they didn't know. And so you're going to get called to the front. And so I get home from work and I get, call, I get the call up, Don, come to the front. You'd think that being 23 years old, you wouldn't get called to the front, but nope, as long as you were under mom and dad's roof, you're going to get the call up all the time. And so I walk into the lounge and my mom puts this letter on the table nicely and she's like, do you want to tell us what's going on? So I pick up this letter and I have a read of it and I absolutely could not believe what this letter said. This particular organization was writing to me to let me know that my application for a loan was successful and that they were about to credit all of this money into my bank account. Also, it said, thank you for bringing your car in and using it for collateral uh, for, this, for this loan. It said that they were happy that, you know, that the, with the inspection that it had gone well. I'm absolutely gobsmacked at this point because I'm reading this letter. First of all, I didn't even apply for this loan. And second of all, I didn't even have a car. So I'm not sure whose car you guys inspected, but it was just confusing. And so what followed after that was months of an investigation that ultimately led to a number of people losing their jobs. They owned up to stealing my ID, making copies of my ID, using my ID, my information, pulling some strings at their old job that they used to work for at this loan, loan company and had almost gotten away with this bank transfer. Like, can you believe it? Somebody wanted to be me. Somebody wanted to be Don Tumua Lafaele. I mean, that's quite flattering because I can't help being this incredible and handsome. But at the same time, that's just disturbing. That's like a mess and a half. Anyway, in their apology letter, they began to list all of the reasons why they did what they did. And they began to list all of the reasons why they believed what they did was justifiable. Have you noticed how we always try to justify the wrong things that we do? We use the printer at work to print all of our personal things. And we say things like, oh, it's not like I took a whole ream of paper and a whole ink cartridge. We walk into the bank, we fill out the withdrawal slip and the deposit slip with the pen that the bank gave us. And then we walk out with, uh, with that pen from the bank and we say things like, oh, it was only a dollar. It's not like I stole a million bucks. And now that's why all of our banks have their pens attached to the table. <laughs> Kidding. We get to the end of the checkout line. And the checkout operator gives us too much like, or more change than we should have been given. And we realize they've given us about $40 too much. 
but we take it and we look up into the heavens and we shout about it and we praise God about it and we say, the Lord hath provided. The Lord hath not. Y'all hath stoleth. We even teach our kids about it. And we say, if you found it, finders, keepers, losers, sweepers. We walk into the mall, we find $100 on the floor. We stomp on that thing. We name it. We claim it to the glory of God. And we say, it's mine. Instead of taking it to the information center and information booth. Because we say things like, well, how are they going to figure out whose $100 it is? There's too many people inside the mall. We've done it all before, myself included. We justify our actions because we just can't handle the truth of what we really are. And so we rationalize it in our minds. And we say things like, they don't need this. They've got a thousand of these. They don't need, uh, they won't mind if I worked half a day today because I've worked here long enough to earn these privileges. We say things like, I need this more than they do. And so in doing so, we become okay with taking that which is not ours. We become okay with taking and borrowing that which does not belong to us and we just never return it back. Today, we're looking at the eighth commandment and here's what it says. Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. So God had delivered the people of Israel out of slavery and out of bondage. God is about to lead them into the promised land through the servant Moses. And so they come to the point in their journey where they're about to inhabit the land that God had promised them. But they're now not sure how they are supposed to live in this community. They're not sure how to be a people there. And the only thing that they knew how to do was to be slaves. They only knew how to live under oppression. They knew how to live uh, in bondage. And so this people who had never been governed before, a people who had never been noticed before or lived freely before are now asking the question, how do we live, live in community? How are we supposed to live in this promised land? And so the 10 commandments were given for their well-being. The 10 commandments were to govern their lives and how they live. The 10 commandments were also to serve as a foundation for the nation of Israel. Not only that, but the 10 commandments were to remind the people of just how sinful they were. It was supposed to evoke a response of living that was reliant on God himself. As we continue to journey through the Ten Commandments, my prayer for you is that you would come uh, away with such an awareness of just how much we need a Savior and that it would move you to live your life in worship, in response to all that God has done. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's do this. Amen. I'm going to be preaching from Joshua chapters 6 and 7 today. And when you get time, go away and read those chapters. There is so much that we can take away and glean from those stories. Uh, and so here's some context. So Israel, Israel have just crossed the Jordan River. All the neighboring countries have heard about how God dried up the Jordan River and how the people were able to cross. And now the neighboring countries were paralyzed with fear. They become so afraid when they heard about this. And so they cross the Jordan River. The Israelites also consecrate themselves and set themselves apart unto the Lord. They're reestablishing covenant ceremonies with God. And now they've come to the walls of Jericho, a story we're familiar with. The people are given clear instructions of what to do upon def uh, defeating Jericho. Joshua 6, 18 to 19 says, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. And so the people began to march around the walls of Jericho. For six days, they followed this pattern, marched around the wall, no shouting, no talking, not even a word. And so on the seventh day, they got up and marched around Jericho seven times. On the seventh time, when they heard the sound of the ram, they shouted as loud as they could while marching and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Israel is victorious. 
Israel has conquered. Israel is undefeated. Time and again, Israel is seeing the hand of the Lord deliver them from their enemies. Joshua 6.24 says, Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. But then Israel violated the instructions of the Lord. A man by the name of Achan had stolen some of the things that were meant to be dedicated to the Lord. And Joshua sent some of the men uh, to eye out their next battle territory. And when they returned, they said to Joshua, you don't need to send all of us up there. We can easily beat them with 2,000 or 3,000 men. And so Joshua 7.4 says, so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. And so Joshua and the elders of Israel began to tear their clothes in absolute dismay. They threw dust on their heads and they bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And Joshua cried out to God and said, God, why have you brought us across the Jordan River? What am I supposed to say to the people of Israel now? Lord, if our enemies find out about this, they're going to wipe us out. The Lord responds to Joshua and says, get up. Why are you on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They've stolen some things that I've commanded must be set apart for me. But they've not only stolen these things, they've even lied about it and hidden these things among their belongings. That is why Israel is running from her enemies. And then the Lord says to Joshua, I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Joshua 7.13, this is God saying, get up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things that are set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. Stealing has become such a common thing nowadays. Our motivation for breaking commandment number eight may be rooted in simple selfishness or pride, but at a deeper level, it is often rooted in a lack of faith in God's provision. At the heart of the desire to steal and take that which does not belong to us is an unbelieving heart that simply distrusts God's providence. In his book, The Ten Commandments, uh, evangelist and author J. John writes this, when we steal, we are denying God's goodness to us. By our actions, we are effectively saying, God, what you have given me is not enough. We are accusing God of being an inadequate heavenly father. Furthermore, when we steal, we are telling God that we know better than he does. Regardless of why we do it, at the core of stealing is an unbelieving heart that refuses to trust that what God has given you is exactly what you need. It's an unbelieving heart that believes that God is holding out on you. It's an unbelieving heart that refuses to believe that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we see it, we want it, we steal it, and then we hide it. In today's text, we see the same pattern in Akan's response. Joshua 7, 20 to 21. He replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with silver buried deeper than the rest. Akan saw, he wanted, he took and he hid. 
This has been the story of humanity since the beginning of time. Eve saw, she wanted the wisdom that the fruit would give her and she took the fruit and after eating it, they felt shame and hid. She saw, she wanted, she took and she hid. Akan saw, he wanted, he took and he hid. All throughout history, we see the story of how man sees, man wants, man takes and then man hides. The problem with this kind of a lifestyle is that you either spend the rest of your life running or you spend the, left, the rest of your life hiding. You can't fully be who you were created to be because when your life is built on a lie, when your life is being financed by that which you stole, you're going to have to keep moving houses, moving cities, uh, keep changing jobs. You're going to have to keep creating new social media profiles because you can't afford to get caught. You can't risk being seen by somebody who knows you. And so what I want you to see today is that to steal is ultimately to live a life outside of God's best for you. Because one who steals simply believes that God cannot prepare a table for him in the wilderness. And so what he does is prepares and spreads one for himself at the expense of his neighbor's possessions. When you fail to see God as your source for everything that you need, you'll be tempted to steal. And in doing so, you essentially proclaim that you're your own source. Whether we're stealing someone's ideas and calling it our own, whether we're stealing time at work by making personal phone calls during work hours, whether we're taking fake sick days, stealing someone's identity by forging their signature, pretending to call in as somebody to get information on who they are or what they do, uh, downloading music from the internet without paying for it, downloading movies from the internet without paying it. I'm telling you, such tables, they do not last. Tables that we've built in our own strength and put together for our own self-interest, such tables do not last and they ultimately lead to destruction. Akan's efforts to try and build his own table by stealing affected an entire nation. Akan's stealing caused 36 people to lose their lives. Akan's stealing caused 3,000 warriors to return home absolutely defeated. Stealing not only separated Akan from community, but it separated him from God. Stealing not only destroyed a community, but it led to destruction. You were not created to live a life that leads to destruction. You were not created to live a life that destroys communities. Quit trying to build your own tables. Quit trying to live outside of your means. Quit trying to take matters into your own hands because you feel like you're missing out. That'll only leave you stealing things, killing relationships and destroying yourself. Stealing, killing and destroying are traits that belong to the devil, not you. That's not who God created you to be. In fact, Jesus said that He came so that you may have life and life more abundantly. Abundant means a life that goes beyond material wealth and prosperity. It's a life that is set on things above. It's a life that's hidden in Jesus. It's an eternal life. It's a life that always has a heavenly perspective. It's a life that trusts God. It's a life that grows in the knowledge of God. It's a life that's full of love, full of peace, full of joy, full of goodness, full of self-control. That's the kind of life that you were created to live. A life that reflects love for God and love for people who are made in the image of God. If I can ask the keys to join me. When you find yourself struggling with thoughts of stealing, here's what I want you to do. Number one, think steward. Think steward. If this commandment is going to have the kind of effect that God desires, we need to understand three fundamental things. One, 
God owns everything. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything was created by God and because He made it all, He owns it all. What we possess, we call our own, but it really only belongs to God, including our lives. Here's the second thing you need to know. God gives us what we need. First Chronicles 29, 12, both riches and honour come from you, God, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. While we do contribute to how much we own, God in His sovereignty entrusts to us as stewards that which belongs to Him so that we can use these possessions to accomplish His will. Thirdly, God holds us accountable for what He has given us. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. One day we will have to describe to God how we use the abilities, the opportunities and the possessions that He provided, whether we used all we had to glorify God or not. You see, when you think steward, you acknowledge that you don't own none of the stuff. You acknowledge that all things belong to God and to steal is to ultimately steal from God. So whenever you struggle with the thought of stealing, I want you to ask yourself some probing questions. Ask yourself, do I believe that God owns everything? Do I believe that God is right and good in distributing everything that we've been given? Do I believe that God's provision for me is sufficient? Does my attitude toward possessions and finance reflect a generous and loving God? If you answer no to any of those questions, then you need to go back and look at what you believe. Because that which you believe is going to inform who you are and what you do. When you don't believe that everything belongs to the Lord, you're going to constantly live your life in a wrestle trying to take that which you think you deserve. You're going to constantly live your life taking things because God isn't moving quick enough. You're going to constantly live your life with an attitude that is not reflective of a generous and loving God. And so go back and check what you believe. If you're in possession of something that is stolen or if you're in possession of something that you've stolen, here's what I want you to do. First, confess it. Confess it. Joshua comes to Akan and says, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Akan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Don't allow your guilt to cause you to hide in shame. The law of the Ten Commandments is like a mirror and it simply shows us how sinful we are. It, show, it shows us how much we need a Saviour. Hiding in shame is not going to get you saved. Adam and Eve did just that. When their eyes were open, they suddenly felt the shame at their nakedness. And so they started to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. Don't allow your guilt to cause you to hide in shame. Quit trying to sew fig leaves together. Quit trying to cover yourself with that which will ultimately perish and fade away. It isn't going to do you no good. Bring it before God and confess it. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. 1 John 1 verse 9 also says, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If you're in possession of something that you've stolen, number one, confess it. And then after you've confessed it, here's the second thing I want you to do. Return it or rid yourself of it. God says to Joshua, get up, 
Command the, pu- the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies, Israel, until you remove these things from among you. Israel went into battle with I, thinking they could have defeated them with 2,000, 3,000 men, and yet they came away absolutely defeated. As long as there was sin in the camp, as long as Israel had that which was consecrated to God, they would not be able to defeat their enemies. I believe this is the same for us. The longer we try to hold on to that which we have stolen, the longer we try to cling to theft as a means of living and getting what we don't have, we will not be able to walk in victory in certain areas of our lives because you can't expect to sow seeds of theft and then expect to reap a harvest of contentment. You don't sow seeds of theft in order to reap fulfillment. No, the Bible says you reap what you sow. If you sow to please your flesh, your flesh from the flesh, you will reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit eternal life. So how do you sow to please the Spirit? Don't steal. Imagine having a home where all of the furniture in there was stolen. Every time you sat at the table, every time you lay on the couch, every time you vacuumed your home and looked at all of that furniture, your conscience is being challenged about how you got your stuff. Every time someone comes into your home now and starts asking about you, how did you get this? Where did you get it from? You now have to tell a lie to cover it up. Not only that, but now you're raising your kids in amongst all of that stolen stuff. You've got a visual reminder every single day of these stolen things in your home. And what happens is you look at it long enough, you're going to end up wanting more, you're going to end up wanting to uh, take more, and you're going to end up wanting to steal more. Having the stuff in your house will continue to trip you up and cause you to want to take some more and steal some more. Why would you want to be reminded of that every single day? To anyone who is in possession of something that you've stolen or acquired by ill means, let me encourage you this morning, return it or rid yourself of it. And I want to say to you these same words spoken to Joshua and Israel, you will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. As I come to a close this morning, I want to remind you of this. The best way that we can live our lives combating sin is to live by relying on God rather than our possessions, our stuff, our investment, our bank balances. We need to give God space to be our provider. We need to rely on God for everything that we need. Again and again, Jesus encourages us to bring all of our needs to to the Father. He knows what we need and is ready and waiting to give. You see, stealing is all around us. Whether open or subtle, personal or public, private or corporate, it is increasingly part and parcel of the way that this world operates. And so trying to live the way God wants us to in the area of positions will make us stand out as very strange to those among us whom we live and work with. Trying to live the way God wants us to in a world that continually glorifies self and individualism will make us stand out. And so on this journey through the Ten Commandments, I truly believe that God is getting up in our business and getting up in our face and getting up in our stuff even during this sermon series, but it's most necessary because unless we take to heart these commandments and empty ourselves of ourselves and live in such a way where God is number one priority, we're not gonna allow God room for God to move in our lives. What if we simply took to heart these commands to never covet, to never bear false witness, to never steal, sorry, to never steal, 
Imagine if there was no stealing. Imagine how it would change our working relationships. Imagine how it would change our environment. Imagine how it would change our church. Imagine how it would change this community. Imagine how it would change our friendships and change uh, our economy. But we're not called by Jesus to just imagine a perfect world. One day that world will come. But in the meantime, He simply asks us to use whatever resources and gifts we have been given and entrusted with to make a difference. And so the question for you this morning is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for?